Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. It's a story that some find hard to believe, but there it is in the Bible. God is telling a man to kill his son. I'll have to admit that I, too, have been perplexed by this saga. That's why I was happy to see that Dr. Jennings was willing to tackle it for us. Dr. Jennings is with us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, I'm eager to hear what you have to say about what happened millennia ago on a mount called Moriah. The time is yours. Yeah, so this is a great question, and many people use this wrongly because they, again, have a bias when they go to Scripture. And what's the bias? The bias is, well, God runs his universe like Caesar runs Rome. He's got laws and he makes up rules and somebody has to be punished for rule breaking. And rather than seeing God as creator and his laws are the laws upon which reality are built and humankind after Adam sinned is in a state of sinfulness out of harmony with God's design for life. And thus the Bible says we're dead in trespass and sin. I mean, we have a terminal condition and God is working with all of his agencies to bring healing and restoration or salvation to the species human, which is going to die if God doesn't intervene for us. Mm -hmm. This is the reality. But most people, when they go with the imperial view, where he's got rules, you broke the rules, God's got to kill. When they read stories like Abraham and Isaac, they read into it. Well, that's just showing you that that somebody's got to kill somebody. and, And he's standing there and he represents the father and Isaac represents the son. And so God's going to kill Jesus to pay our penalty. And they misread the entire thing. So what should we be looking at this? How should we be looking at this? Well, there's multiple reasons why, because God can accomplish more than one thing with one intervention. Mm -hmm. The first is Abraham is the friend of God. Mm -hmm. And God gives this intervention for Abraham for Abraham's salvation, i.e., character growth, i.e. overcoming fear and selfishness in Abraham's heart and establishing Abraham as a man of faith, also known as trust. Will Abraham really trust God? Prior to this instruction, on two occasions, Abraham had opportunity to trust God, but with Pharaoh and Abimelech, both times Abraham lied to those people in order to protect his interests rather than speaking truthfully and trusting God without would turn out. So Abraham had a problem with fully trusting God, and God had to put Abraham in a circumstance in which Abraham would have to exercise his choice. Am I going to trust God and do what he says, or am I going to make my own plans and do my own thing? Mm. He also didn't trust God with the promised child and try to achieve that on his own with Hagar as well. So three places he's taking activity to make his own way, make his own plans. And this is the core issue with all of us, self-centeredness, where we're trying to do our own thing. And God wants Abraham to overcome that fear that leads us to act in selfish ways. And so he gives him this instruction to be willing to trust God and exercise that capacity because you only grow in faith if you exercise that capacity and trust God. Boy, that is a tough lesson to learn for Abraham. Wow. Right. And so this was the first reason. It was for his character development. This is the reason for it. And in James chapter 2, starting verse 20, the apostle says, Do you want to be shown what faith without actions is useless? How was our ancestor Abraham put right with God? It was through his actions when he offered his son. So having faith without acting on that faith doesn't actually transform. It's when your faith requires you 
to act on it or apply it to your life that things become transformational. Okay, what's next? So the second reason God had Abraham do this, if you remember Jesus in John 8, 56, speaking to the Pharisees, says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they were like outraged because Abraham longed as a friend of God to know God more intimately, mm-hmm. to understand God's character, to understand God's plan of salvation, to draw closer to him in friendship and love and empathy and connectiveness. And so God not only gave Abraham this instruction for Abraham to overcome the fear and selfishness in his own heart and his own character, but for him to empathize and put himself in God's position when God was going to send his only begotten son. And it was for that fulfillment of Abraham's request to help Abraham see God and know God more fully that God allowed him to go through this experience so he could really know God's heart more fully. And of course, by proxy, we can learn it too, because we are fathers, we have sons, and to think about Abraham's experience in us, we can now empathize with God and his son, right? That's exactly right. We can empathize, but Abraham, putting yourself in that position, it drew Abraham closer, having to do it or come to the point, even though he didn't actually fully do it, he came to the point that in his heart he was willing Willing. to, and he grieved on his way there, and he was able to then have a better appreciation and closeness with God, which was an answer to Abraham's prayer. That's the second reason. Third reason, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.9, it says that God has uh, put us on display as men in a theater, a spectacle, a theater to the angels and to men. And so what's happening on earth is revealing God's plan of salvation. And it says angels long to look into these things, the Bible says. And angels are watching what's transpiring here. And one of the things God is revealing to angels is that God's methods and plans work for those who trust God. Here is Abraham, who at one point in his life acts on his own with Hagar to have a son, lies to the Pharaoh, lies to Abimelech, and he's showing he's having problems. But by the time of Mount Moriah, where he takes Isaac to offer him, Abraham's heart has changed. Mm -hmm. Angels can't read hearts and minds. And so in order for God to reveal the heart of someone who's changed, God has to put them in a circumstance where their actions can reveal that change of heart. And this was one of the other reasons to show to the onlooking universe, the angels that long to see, hey, guys, my methods work. They really heal people. You see this also in the life of Moses, that after Israel rebelled and God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start with a, with over with you. And Moses, it begins to plead, no, don't do it. If you're going to do it, wipe me out of your book of life as well. God has foreknowledge. He knew what Moses was going to do. He knew that Moses was not going to take him up on this, so he had no intention of wiping out Israel. Why did he say it this way then? Because 40 years earlier, Moses murdered an overseer. He's a murderer, and he runs away to protect himself. And he says to the angels, see, guys, 40 years ago, he was filled with fear and selfishness. He murdered somebody, ran and hid, but he spent 40 years with me in the wilderness and see what my methods do. They change his heart. Now here's somebody who's willing to sacrifice himself for others. My methods work. And so another reason God has brought Abraham these instructions was to reveal to the interested intelligences that God's methods work to heal hearts and minds. There's another reason too. Yes. And the other reason was to show 
that in fact, you have to remember, God has foreknowledge. He knew Abraham's heart. He knew how Abraham was going to respond. He already knew he was not going to have Abraham sacrifice Isaac. But in that culture, many pagan religions and uh, idol worships did have child sacrifice. And so one more reason was to show in worship of Yahweh and worship the true God, we do not have child sacrifice. And so many people miss this. They use it and say, yeah, there's how God was going to have him sacrifice his son. No. And if you actually look at what happened, Mm -hmm. what happened was he did not have him sacrifice his son. So it's actually an affirmation that we don't have human child sacrifice in God's kingdom. Wow. Uh, These are incredible points. And Dr. Jennings, I have to ask this question. I'll play the devil's advocate here just for a moment. According to what we know of Scripture and what Scripture's told us, that uh, that Satan represented a third of the angels and they were swept out of heaven. That's a whole other program we can do on that. Is God still trying to prove that he's right to the universe millennia after that event? Is he still trying to show the angels, the universe, that he's right and the devil was wrong? Why would he still have to do that? My understanding is that at the cross is when Satan was fully revealed as a liar and a fraud. Mm. It's Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all unto me. And now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world would be cast out. Now, you notice how I said that. I said, we'll draw all unto me. That is exactly how the Greek has it. Almost every English translation inserts a word that is not in the actual inspired record. They insert the word men. I will draw all men unto me. No, that is not what Jesus said. I will draw all unto me. Because angels long to look into this. And you see the story in the book of Job where in Old Testament times, Satan is presenting himself in heaven and from walking to and fro on the earth and all the sons of God have gathered and he's presenting his lies and alleging God is is a is a manipulator and God can't be trusted. So Satan is still plying his lies, trying to deceive the angels in heaven. He was a being who had been loved and had been known. You could consider it like one of your own brothers or sisters and you still have hope that maybe he isn't so gone or you still have hope that maybe... Uh, you're still confused. Maybe he had a point. At the cross, though, Jesus is high and lifted up, and he draws all into him, and the prince of this world is cast out. Cast out from where? He's still here on the earth. He's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. So where was he cast out of at the cross? He was cast out of heaven at the cross. Michael and his angels fought and so forth, and, and the dragon was cast out to the earth in Revelation 12. He was cast out of the affections, out of the of the trust, out of the heart concern of the beings in heaven. All concern or loyalty or or love or affection for Satan was broken when he revealed himself as a murderer at the cross. Uh-huh. And that's when he was cast out, not by an act of God forcing him down physically, but because every intelligent being in perfection in heaven no longer will listen And so Satan's work is now restricted to this earth because all the beings in heaven are settled by the evidence of Christ into God's worthiness and trustworthiness, and they will not listen to any lies of the devil. On earth, though, he is now roaring like a lion, and and, and this is where he has power because people still listen to his lies down here. And so that's what I understand happening. In Old Testament times, angels still hadn't seen the cross yet, and there were still a lot of questions, as we see in the book of Job and other places going on, and God is giving evidence through his friends. Job was one of the friends that gave evidence. You see that in the first chapter and later in the book of Job. But I gave example of Moses here, Abraham, and others, which were also 
called the witnesses before the universe to show God's methods work. Wow. Wow. On Mount Moriah, Abraham gave an example of what was to happen, and just a stone's throw from Mount Moriah is Calvary, and it is there where God shut everybody up. Look, this is what Satan is willing to do. Satan is willing to absolutely destroy the Son of God, and that is a lesson in stone for everyone, and it should be for us too. Am I right in saying that? You are exactly right. The cross is the key. When it's understood through the lens of a designer, a creator, unfortunately, the cross has been perverted through imperialism, and some teach that God killed Jesus at the cross, which makes it into Satan's view of God. No, Jesus said, my God, my God, not why are you killing me or harming me, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? God did not lay a hand on his son at the cross, but he surrendered him to the course that Jesus chose to be our savior to fix the sin problem so we could have salvation. What manner of love? That's all I can say after what you just said. What manner of love does Jesus show to us that God showed to us that he was willing to give his own son there at the cross? Wow, Dr. Jennings. Comeandreason.com is the website. You have lots of resources there waiting for you. Dr. Jennings' many books, his blogs, his video logs, his podcasts, and uh, other material he's making available. He's also working on the paraphrase of the Bible. He has uh, much of Psalms done, and it is incredible. I invite you to go to comeandreason.com and check all of that good stuff out. Dr. Jennings, you have broken my heart today with your words, but you've also given me reason to rejoice and praise God. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennings. Always happy to do it, Charles. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>